Well, the emergence of Ledley was a big boost because the Arsenal fans were invited to stick this whole Campbell up a uh, selected orifice of the, <laughs> of the human anatomy at the time. <laughs> Thursday to you, Whitey One listeners. You're listening to the Spurs podcast, committed to its backward journey through Tottenham seasons as a way of filling the indefinite sporting break enforced by the coronavirus pandemic. Matthew Fletcher-Jones, who is Head of Communications at Sports Marketing Agency Engine Sport, is back today, having worn the Whitey One shirt back in November as the podcast attempted to make sense of Poch's sacking and Mourinho's appointment. Fletch, great to have you back. What have you been doing since coronavirus hit? I can't believe it's been six months. Kind of slightly glad of the break of having to suffer Marino Spurs, let's say. But um, good to be back and looking back quite a long way. And have you been working or have you been doing much in sport? Obviously, you're head of sports there. I've, uh, yeah, been working away. I've been in a lockdown slightly longer than everyone else, a week longer, because I had to self isolate. Because I had been at one of our rival club's training grounds. Ooh. I won't mention which one, but you can probably figure it out. And one of their players was revealed to have coronavirus. And therefore, everyone who'd been there had to kind of self-isolate. Did you feel okay, though? Yeah, I was absolutely fine. Yeah, managed to A avoid bit. it. So far, so good. Yeah. Good, that's good to hear. So, the summer of 2001 on North London remains infamous to this day due to the events discussed in yesterday's YE1 Daily as we brought you our 48-minute debate as to whether or not Sol Campbell's move from Tottenham to Arsenal could ever be forgiven, or at least understood by the Spurs fan base. It was also club icon Glenn Hoddle's first full season in charge of the first team, as new owners, the Enoch Group, had attempted to reunify the White Hart Lane faithful following disillusionment surrounding the man in the raincoats borderline toxic two-and-a-half-year tenure. While for a final dose of context, this was the last season that transfers were allowed up until March 31st, before the summer and winter transfer windows we know today were introduced. We used the old rules for the last time in September 2001, when defender Dean Richards became our marquee signing for the season, arriving for £8.1 from Hoddle's former club Southampton, much to their chairman Rupert Lowe's increasing annoyance. Guys, We've loosely decided that Campbell had somewhat of a point of leaving as we finished 12th, 10th, 11th, 14th and 10th again in his last five seasons with us. But how much did the new ownership optimism of Enoch, plus returning heroes Hoddle and Sheringham and the establishment of Ledley Kings aside, who played 42 signs that season, temper the loss of our captain, Sol Campbell? Peter, well, how did you feel? I remember it went, it came, went a long way to sort of calming me down a bit, you know, obviously... It's one of those situations where you can't forgive it, but you can understand it. Well, the emergence of Ledley was a big boost, because the Arsenal fans were invited to stick this whole Campbell up a uh, selected orifice of the, <laughs> of the human anatomy at the time. Where we all remember that song, because yeah. you know, we had Ledley at the back. And Matt, can I ask you a question? Obviously, you, you wasn't on the podcast for the Sol Campbell debate, but I mean, in hindsight, do you think Sol Campbell or Ledley King was the better player? Oh, that's a hell of a question. Well, I don't think, you know, we ever saw the best of Ledley, really, did we? I think if Ledley had stayed fit, I think he would have been the better player. Just Campbell was an out-and-out, strong, big defender. 
I think Ledley had a little bit more, but unfortunately, we'll never know. Yeah, he could have been a midfield player, couldn't he? Really, I remember England utilising him in as defensive midfield because he was good on, so good on the ball. Well, he marked Zidane, didn't he, in that Euros game? And okay, I know Zidane scored two in the last minute, neither of which were Ledley's fault. But yeah, he was brilliant that game, and I think he'd been put there specifically to mark Dan, which is. You know, Sudan was probably the best footballer in the world at the time, and he did a job on him that night. Yeah, and that that was a period where you know man to man marking has sort of gone out of vogue, wasn't it? But he really, I remember that's a great, uh, great shout, Max. He really did a great job on him that day. Euro um, two thousand and four, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sim, can you sort of give some key facts of the season two thousand and one, two thousand and two, please? I think we discussed in the podcast the other day that we seem to be moving into a, a sort of transfer strategy where we were going all in. It was Dan that put it that way, I think, that we were just putting all of our eggs in the basket of experience. So this summer was very much kind of saw us move in that direction. We brought in Sheringham on a free transfer from United coming back. So obviously he'd gone there in 97, won everything there and then came back to us to give us the drips and dregs of his career. But he did okay this season. He got 13 goals. Oh yeah, came in. He got he got even more goals than Sheringham actually. He got fourteen from Chelsea, but he was thirty three. Sheringham was thirty five, and Les Ferdinand, who'd been there a year or two before, was leading the line with Sheringham. He was our top scorer with fifteen. But there was a headline that I found in or an article that I love in the paywall. Unfortunately, stopped me from reading it. But in the Telegraph from the time two thousand and one. The headline was Poyet joins Tottenham Oldies as Chelsea I Lampard. And I think this headline just says everything about the direction that we were going in compared to Chelsea at the time, would you guys say? Yeah, that's a great point, actually, because I think um, if I could just put some context of our spending, can I put this question to you, Matt? So Spurs spent £25 million in that transfer window. So Sheringham, Poyet, Ziga, Casey Keller, Bunjacevic and Richards. So Spurs spent £25 million, Aston Villa £24 million, Blackburn £30, Sunderland £36, Leeds £42, Chelsea £45, Newcastle £28, Fulham £45 million, and United £77 million. I mean, Matt, what do you, looking back, back, how did you sort of feel at that time? Yeah, it felt like it was the time when money was really starting to make a difference. That United team, the class of 92, was obviously getting older and kind of Liverpool before that had bought kind of players from lower division clubs. So money was really starting to talk. And even though we had some and the new owners and so on, I don't think we had that much and there was a bit of papering over the cracks wasn't there in a lot of ways i think we'd been poor probably would say start of the jerry francis the end of the jerry francis kind of period we'd had about four or five years where we were a bit lost and weren't going anywhere and i think there was a lot of short-term fixes going on yeah and i think this really was a short-term fix wasn't it but to be fair when, when you sort of look at the time if you sort of put it so in there I call it the dad's army strategy. He went for experience. I mean, if, if it had come off, you know, you never know, you know, if we had got into Europe, the strategy possibly was a bit short term, but it wasn't a dreadful strategy in hindsight, was it, Peter, really? Well, no, get some experience, trying to get in the Europa League. Well, the Big Sam did a kind of a similar type of thing at Bolton where he uh, was bringing kind of journeyman players kind of towards the end of their career. JJ Cotters and the people like Campo and... Shukayev. Yeah, Joy Kerf. That is players in our twilight of their career, I suppose. But I just said, I think I said it in an earlier podcast, you've got to blend that in with a bit of uh, youth as well. And um, 
you add into the mix the fact that I think we still had sick note there as well and he was only ever really fit <laughs> when there was an international tournament mm. coming up. There was nothing, no one of the youngsters coming through apart from, say, Stephen Clements and we brought in Etherington and Simon Davis, but there was no one else coming through, was there, really? Well, well, Alton Thelwell. I think Matt makes a really interesting point, though, about the fact that the fo- the money was just starting to come into the game. At that, not obviously not starting to come into the game, it was starting to make a massive difference. And you say that we've kind of gone for what you call the dad's army approach, which is a relatively cheap approach. I mean, we're not really paying transfer fees for people that are that age. But I think what's interesting to compare from that time is that I suppose the polar opposite to what we were doing was what Leeds United were doing. And at this time, this is when they were taking the gamble into the Champions League. This is actually the season where they missed out on the Champions League and it really cost them big time because they finished either fourth or fifth, but it wasn't enough. And they spent 42 million. Yeah, with our new owners and taking a more cautious approach. This possibly was a wise thing to do at that time. It was actually Hoddle's first full season in charge this season. And also it was Enix's first full season in charge. So do you think they were sort of not really going gung-ho because it was all going on gung-ho around them. You're kind of feeling feeling their way, but it's to kind of set the template for the, the spending and the policy throughout the sort of early noughties, really. By comparison, and I'm only saying that by comparison with Chelsea and Man United, what Man United were doing, and like yeah. 30 million for Rio Ferdinand, and we touched mm-hmm. on 17 million for Duff, yeah? Uh, yeah. Scotty Parker, a lot of people didn't even play every week. We were definitely kind of, I felt, I felt like the poor relation. The Dad's Army strategy, I mean, it could have worked. I mean, in, in the end, Sim, we finished ninth and we got to a League Cup final, which we'll come on to a bit later. Sim, can you sort of run through the Premier League season, say the first six or seven games? Actually, that'd be quite interesting. Up to the Man United game, that'd be good. Yeah, so it was a slow start to the season. Um, we won only two of our first eight one of the games that was thrown into that was another defeat against Chelsea at what they used to call three-point lane. We went behind twice in that game, sharing them equalised twice, and Desai got a really late winning goal. We didn't actually beat Chelsea in the whole... Was it the whole of the 90s, home or away? And I just wanted to, wanted to find out like how irritating the whole three-point lane thing was. Well, they were very smug. It just served to increase the smugness of their supporters. The only thing that tempered it a bit was that we blew them away at the lane in the League Cup that season, like yeah. 5-1, I think. Yeah, we'll come, we'll come on to that later, yeah. Peter, you're right. But, I mean, just from my point of view, three-point lane thing, I used to go to football a lot in the 90s and early 2000s before children and marriage. And, yeah, that used to really irk me, it really <laughs> did. I mean, I don't know what, I mean, even if we were better than them, they would still come and beat us. I don't know what it was. I think we were mentally weak. Fletch, what's your sort of experience of three-point line? I just moved to London in 2000, so lifelong Spurs fan, but first time I kind of could regularly get to games, although I couldn't afford it that often. But I lived in Battersea, so I was right in Chelsea oh, country. God. What we used to really wind me up is, you know, Chelsea's kind of history had only begun about five or six years before that, in a, in a lot of ways. They'd never been a big club for us kind of growing up. You know, they were no. a bit, uh, you know, a bit of a yo-yo club in a lot of ways. Which you know, uh, they used to go up and down, you know, between first and second division, and then got a bit of money in the nineties and brought in a load of old players, and then suddenly they just, you know, had one over us continuously. You know, other than yeah. that League Cup semi. 
Yes, Matthew Hardin was the, the, the sort of catalyst for their sort of yeah. change, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, they, they, Hank Glenn Hoddle, Hank Glenn Hoddle as well. He started the revolution at Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, they in, got Hoddle from Swindon, didn't they? And, and he, they he did. attracted the Italians in, uh, like Viali and Hullet, and people came in on the back of the Hoddle being there, so let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah that, that was quite sad, really. But, uh, Sim, yeah, if you can sort of carry on with our start. That Chelsea game was the fifth game of the season. We went to Sunderland and won 2 1, which was our second win of the season. The game before Chelsea, we beat Southampton at home 2 0. And then we had two defeats in a row. So Liverpool, we beat them 1 0 away. And then 5 3 at home to Manchester United, which was a pretty infamous game, a bit like the City one that we discussed the other day in the, in the FA Cup. Yeah, Peter, what's your memories of that game? Oh, I just remember just feeling that. The fact that they scored so early, I've seen Spurs go ahead and I've never been able to relax. But this is one occasion where I was just definitely not feeling optimistic about the, the outcome of the game. I just thought, we're not particularly playing that well. And uh, sure enough, they got a goal really early doors in the second half. I heard the Fergie's team talk was, come on, it's Spurs <laughs> <laughs> at half time. Yeah, I mean, it was quite galling. Just as a bit of context for listeners, he might be a bit young. You know, his Spurs went 3-0 up through Richards, Ferdinand and Ziga. Half-time, they were 3-0 up against Manchester United, end up losing 5-3. Fletch, do you remember that game? I do. I Two of those housemates in Battersea were United fans. Oh. Oh. And um, I kind of never shared that confidence. I suppose it was, you know, even at 3-0 up, after the, you know, where we were at that period and the years we'd had before, against that United team, you know, you never were really confident it was going to end well. Once they got that early goal to start of the second half, I think they, they just steamrolled us a bit. I think mentally we're a bit weak. We've shown that over a lot of times over the years, and possibly under the Pochettino era, we haven't really had that weakness many times, have we? Do you no. all agree that, Sim? No. It's getting over the line in those big games, isn't it? I mean, Man United again, in this journey back, what are we now, 19 years? We've gone back in the foot, bloody hell, we've gone back 19 years. But in all of those games, in all of those semi-finals, those leads that we've thrown, that we've touched on in this thing, the one that annoys me more than anything was the semi-final against Man United in 2018. And that's just that's just another one where the mentality just couldn't take us over the line. That's that's my go-to irritating Spurs, Spursy game. Yeah. This is one of mine. I, I remember I was in Nice for the weekend with my wife, or wasn't my wife then, and I remember just walking around Nice, coming back from the beach, putting my head in a bar, and it was three. We were winning three nil. Jesus Christ, brilliant! So then, uh, you know, went back to the hotel room, went out for the evening. Blah, 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 and we're flying home on the Sunday night. It's only I get, I think, well, I've seen with one. Get to the oh, this is like before. You know, you had smartphones and everything. Get to the airport, look at some newspaper. We'd lost five three. <laughs> I was actually crushed. I felt that season, Peter, that we never sort of got going in any sort of... There was, there was always stop-start. We might win a game. We might draw a game. But, you know, yeah. we actually lost 16 games that season, Peter. We never got a run going, did we? No, it's just that momentum is a really big thing in football and uh, just getting a sequence of wins and just it's all about consistency, I suppose, isn't it? Which uh, it's not... I, I don't think we've ever really had that until Potch came in. Certainly in them years, you know, you, we could blow teams away one week and then but it's those big sort of marquee key games and you know it's just those games where we don't turn off and inexplicably don't turn off yeah but Matt we had a nice little period between October where we won three on the trot up to December where we sort of only lost once and that was to Leeds away do you remember any of those games Matt? 
Well, I just remember my whole feeling of, you know, I was fairly positive about the season at that stage and where we were going. You know, as I've already said, you know, the previous two years have been pretty bad. Just the huddle, new ownership, things like Teddy being back, a player like Ziga, who I think had banged a load of goals in, bizarrely, at the start of the season. Yeah. Uh, it just felt like a slight upturn in direction in it. You know, as we said, we lost 16 games, but we did finish ninth, which was a bit of a change from the, you know, the constant... Double figures. About 14th of the previous years. We played some decent football at times, but we were still, you know, still a team trying to find our way. And, you know, as we've already said, there was... Ferdinand, Anderton, Poirier and Sheringham, we must have a combined age of about 150. Um, So, you know, uh, just getting through the season was an achievement for some of those guys. But but your optimism was founded though, Fletch, because in pre-season, you know, we beat Fiorentina 3-0, we drew with Luton 1-1, beat Millwall 2-1, beat Reading 2-0. We lost to AEK in a friendly as well, but I just felt it was something a bit different. There was a bit of momentum with Hoddle and the new owners in I'm always like that in August, though, you know, I always think it's something fresh. You see the games, everyone's wearing white, and there's white shirts, the sun's shining, and it's August, and that gives you a bit of optimism anyway. And then it's only yeah. when things start to go downhill that you, you lose that. Yeah. Do, do you remember um, anything about the formation they played, um, yeah, three, Peter? Five, because three, five, Hoddle, I mean, we know Hoddle loved three five two, didn't he? And I think a lot of the times we played King, Richards, and Buncicevic or Perry as the three centre-backs. And it's something he'd used with England, I think, with Anderton. Yeah, he had. As a wing-back. Yeah. I think he might have been the first guy to really use that in the Premier League. Did Zieger and Simon Davis play as the wing-back? Correct. Right. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. bizarrely, I, I watched the other... BBC Wales showed Wales' win over the great Italian team around that time. And Simon Davis scored one of the goals, an absolute cracker. But he played right wing-back and... Uh, Gary Speed was left wing back, and I'd completely forgotten about that. Poirier played a lot in mid in centre. Anderson played a lot in centre. Sometimes Sherwood and Freund. That was sort of you know like a two or three man midfield they had there. Sherwood was a good player, wasn't he, Peter? Yeah, yeah, I thought he was. Yeah, you know, won the title at Blackburn. You know, had that kind of leadership quality. We had the experience. We had a lot of talkers in the dressing room. I just think we just didn't have the legs. I remember going to watch a lot of games that year and. We just didn't have the intensity of the play. I mean, we were some lovely footballers. I remember going to watch the game before Christmas, the Ipswich game at home, and oh, it was just a. It just seemed to like we we sort of had like a nice little bit of a run beforehand, and we thought, oh, we beat these at home, go on a nice little run over Christmas. It just never happened though against Ipswich Town. I mean, I think they got relegated that year. They beat us twice in about three weeks. It just didn't get going in that season. Sim, I'm sure you'll back me up from the games. You can sort of see after that Ipswich game, we sort of didn't win hardly any more games, did we, over the next eight, eight games? Someone mentioned it before, we lost 16 games in the season. We only won 14. Finished ninth, which I, I suppose you're, with a record like that, your position, depending on what kind of a league it is that year, can kind of depend from anywhere from about ninth to about 15th. And I think maybe we just, we just got lucky in terms of league positions this year. Conceded more than we scored as well, lost more than we won. So, yeah. you know, you, you can't, there's not a lot to, apart from a league position, to really back up the season. And also we lost 4-0 away in successive weeks to United, 
and 4-0 away to Chelsea, which really hurt. And then we lost at home to Charlton. And, you know, White Hart Lane's always been, you know, normally sold out. But Fletch, there was only 29,000 at White Hart Lane for a game. Yeah, that kind of comes at the culmination of that kind of run you mentioned with Ipswich before Christmas, where, I mean, we maybe won three games in four months or something like that. I actually looked at the crowd figures early on across the course of the season, and they were fairly decent. But, um, yeah, I think we were kind of running out of steam, and maybe we did just, you know, as Sim says, we probably sneaked that ninth position with a bit of luck in other results, and just how we finished the season, really, where we kind of picked up a load of points towards the end. And, uh, obviously signal the beginning of the end for Leeds on April Fool's Day. Yeah. I just want to go back to uh, you know, one of the most important games of the year where a certain player had left us in the summer. Sim, if you can sort of give me a little uh, intro to this. We tried to get hold of either a police officer or a steward who was on duty that day. I thought that would have been a really, really interesting mm. to hear. It wasn't to be, unfortunately. But, you know, we've all seen the pictures, the Judas balloons and... I believe you were there, Ian, weren't you? The one-one draw. I, well, I was there. It was it was interesting actually because yeah. you know, I, as I've said before, I'm quite a normal, you know, family guy, not an aggressive person. But I just felt that day, you know, I mean, in the morning waking up, and I just, I just had it in my head. I hated him so much. And what was interesting though, I don't know if you remember, guys, it was a three o'clock Saturday kickoff, which yes, was a bit yeah. strange. But you know, I remember getting to White Hart Lane to meet one of my mates in the pub. When I got off the train at White Hart Lane, I just smelt the anger. You know, it just it just felt different. I don't know why yeah. it felt different, and I sort of even went me and my mate, which you know we were quite normal guys, and we we went over to the coach coming in, the Arsenal coach coming in. I mean, you couldn't get close. And then I remember people throwing stuff. It was throwing bricks and bottles. I'd never sort of seen that sort of hatred, at, mm. you know, that badly at White Hart Lane. But I remember him warming up. So we got in the ground, and then him coming out to warm up just at the start. I mean, it was vitriolic. There's a lot more people in the ground as well than there normally is at about, you know, 20 past two. But it was toxic, people holding the cards up, you know. Even even when he was warming up, they were booing. I wouldn't like to have been there, having been at Stamford Bridge for the so-called Battle of Stamford Bridge. It's just like, I guess it's just like a cauldron of hate. But then it's, it's all against the backdrop of the fact of the players that you mentioned that were coming into our club the level of investment, there's a backdrop to why this all happened. And I suppose that calmed and tempered a lot of my anger. They went 1-0 up quite late on, about 78 minutes. Like a mistake by Neil Sullivan. And then Poirier got a last minute or 90 plus 3 uh, equaliser where Richard Wright made a dreadful mistake. But I just felt after that game, you know, I remember at the end of the game there was cheers and it was this Though we'd won the game, it felt like that a little bit. But I mean, it was just like a little bit of a short-term little piece of joy because I, they went on to go and win the league that year. Am I right, Sim? Yeah, they won the double, actually, didn't they? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so then his move is kind of indicated. I can understand why he did it in terms of kind of honours and so on. But um, think about Sheringham and Berbatov, Modric, Bale, even Carrick. We got the money for them and they didn't go to an arch-rival. I remember my first job in London as I'd moved down then. Two of the lads in the post room uh, there were Gooners, and one of them had heard a rumour about it fairly early on, and I just used to laugh at him, saying, nah, that's not going to happen, that's never going to happen. He's our captain, he wouldn't do that, he wouldn't go to you lot for nothing. Because, you know, where was he linked to? Was it Juve? Barcelona. And United as well, I think. Barcelona, Liverpool and United, you're right, Peter, yeah. If there'd been a fee involved, 
one year to go things or something, I kind of still find it a bit kind of unforgivable, really. You know, you can't imagine these days a Liverpool player running down his contract and then signing for United or something like that. So, yeah, I'm still not over it, clearly. We sort of lived towards the end of the season, ended up finishing ninth. Matt did point out the game that we beat Leeds 2-1 at home on the 1st of April. That was really put a spanner in the Champions League works and we all know what happened to them after. Also beat Liverpool in the second last game, 1-0 Poirier scored, but that was, you know, the end of a pretty pretty turgid, as we keep saying, turgid league campaign. In the League Cup, we actually got to the final, didn't we? Beat Torquay, Tranmere, Fulham and Bolton in the first four rounds of that to get to the semi-final. And then we lost the semi-final first leg away at Chelsea, 2-1. But then we just turned it on in the second leg and you guys will remember it, the 5-1 win. We talked before about games when Spurs start and for me, I just yeah. felt we started, we scored early. Did you just feel that, that we were going to turn it around? It came out of the block, like Usain Bolt. It was like, mm. well, it's like there's a there's a similar game against Arsenal where we did that. We were just on fire, up and at it from the first whistle. It, and it's one of those Spurs performances under the floodlights at the lane where they're just really irresistible. Just didn't occur that many times, unfortunately. <laughs> Matt, do you remember this game? Yeah, it's the it's kind of the you know the standout game of that period, not just that season. You know, in the same way that everyone tends to remember the five three loss to United, we were just superb that night. I think it was it was on ITV. Yeah, and yep. we just absolutely tore them apart, and there was just no kind of let up, and you know the goals just kind of kept on coming and you know to see that Chelsea team just almost fold and give up when yeah, they, you know, they'd come into the game with a lead was amazing as well and bizarrely I'd forgotten that obviously it being the, the Worthington Cup as it was then it was during that awful run we had in January I think when we yeah. were in every league game and suddenly we went and did that but that probably says everything about the club at that time. Yeah, I, mean, I, I remember on TV, the lane was rocking. They, they, yeah. they sort of went to pieces a little bit. They had Hasselbank sent off as well. And Sim, they had a really strong team at that time. They'd, they'd invested a lot of money. And some of those players did actually spill over into the success, didn't they? People like Gallas, Terry, Lampard, Good Johnson as well. But then there's a team that also had Kudicini, Desai was still the captain. Zola, Petit, albeit possibly not as good as he was when he was at Arsenal. I think mean, Mario Stanich was, was a pretty talented player as well in Hasselbank. So it was a yeah, yeah. good Chelsea side. That night, I just remember falling out with the missus and I don't know what it was about. <laughs> we weren't talking and so I didn't have anyone to celebrate with. You know, Sim was only three, so he didn't know what was going on. But a brilliant night, nonetheless. It was a great night. Then we got to the final, obviously, and we were, you know, we were really quite fired up for this final because, from memory, I think they had um, a few players missing. They had two guys who was a great player for them. Flickcroft yeah. was missing, suspended, and Craig Short was. So we were massively hot for Avis Fletch, you remember? Yeah, yeah, and I remember just being shocked that it just didn't happen that day. I mean, in retrospect, I think, did they finish one place above us or one place below us in the league or something like that? And they, they were still a fairly decent team, but after that Chelsea game, I just remember going into that final thinking... Yeah, we've got this names on the cup type of thing. Yeah, and it just didn't happen that day, did it? Did we wear like a special one-off kit as well? I think we played in yellow. Um, we definitely played in yellow, but I don't remember it being a one-off. 
they played in white and blue and our third kit I think was sky blue as well so we had like I think it was the only time we ever wore that yellow shirt or something yeah, uh, interesting. Peter, I, what was I, your memory of that final? I never saw Huge the game. I, I never actually, because I was in the Dominican Republic. We were in the Dominican Republic getting some late winter sunshine. And so I just remember sitting in a bar or just after dinner and some, I think it was five hours behind anyway. So I was, and some guy who was a Liverpool fan said, oh, Brad Friedel was the man of the match and we lost. But I never actually watched it back, you know, when I, I've never actually seen the game. I just remember having a few Cuba Libras to drown my sorrows. Things could have been a lot different. I mean, the strategy with the Dad's Army strategy at the start of the season, if we would have won that, you know, we'd have got into Europe. It could have been a lot different, Sim, couldn't it? Was the Europa League and the Champions League, or the UEFA Cup and the Champions League, like a similar kind of revenue stream? I suppose the Champions League would definitely be more. But I, I just don't know what the revenue credentials have been in the UEFA Cup were like at that point. I suppose there was a lot more kudos with it, wasn't there, just being in Europe. I think you're right there, Sim. I think there's a lot more kudos getting into Europe because you know, we, we, we were never going to the Champions League and that was our sort of stepping stone target. Would you say, Matt? Yeah, definitely. It was still, you know, the UEFA Cup was still a, you know, still a big thing. And of course, because there was still the Intertoto around then oh, as yeah. well, wasn't course, there? Yeah. And people yeah. would play in that in the summer as well to try and get into Europe because it brought in money and so on. But uh, yeah, that day, unfortunately, I think we should have won it and we maybe should have had a penalty late on or something. Maybe we've been a bit fortunate to win it a few years before. Um, and Sim, can you take us for our FA Cup round as well, which we won't really uh, talk about the last game in it? It's bizarre that we played Tranmere and Bolton in both cup competitions, which is... Interesting. I, I don't know what... I think Bolton, Bolton were in the Premier League this year. I don't know what league Tranmere were in. Maybe League 1 or League 2. But yeah, we... And we beat both of them both times as well. So we beat Coventry in the third, in the third round. That was a way. And then we won 4-0 in both the home games against Bolton and Tranmere. Bolton first and then Tranmere after that. And then got put out in the quarterfinals 4-0 at home by Chelsea, which is just another... another. It was actually their, their revenge. I think it was billed as their revenge for the League Cup one. I remember that game, actually, because we were defensively all over the show. And I remember us playing King, Gardner and Richards all played together in the same team. And we were just all over the place. Yeah, it was dark days. We don't really want to dwell on that, Matt. More Peter, unless you want to talk about that. No, definitely not. (laughs) Moving swiftly on, I think. A pint of beer in 2002 cost £2.09. Just to get a pint of beer now would be great. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, guys, uh, I think that's pretty much it about another season in this turgid era of watching Spurs. If I could sort of go around the table as we normally do and sort of just if we could sum it up in one or two words. Peter, can you can I come to you first? Yeah, mediocre, I'm afraid. Good word. Sim? Substandard. And Matt? Golden oldies. Yes, <laughs> like it. Okay, guys, well, Matt, thanks for coming back to uh, visit us on the, on the podcast. So thanks, Peter and Sim. You're welcome. Cheers, guys. Keep safe, everyone, and uh, speak to you all soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye.